Making the Best of a Bad Thing. Well, that's the title of our study today on Search for Truth Radio with your Bible teacher, Brian Johnson. Remember, our studies are taken in Ecclesiastes, that strange book in the Bible's Old Testament. The question which frames this whole series of eight talks is, does anyone know why we're here? And the author of Ecclesiastes, obviously a very wise person, considers our concept of the world from the two opposing views. First, that there is no God, and then that God exists. That's futility or hope. Once we bring God into the dilemma, we introduce love, for God is love. Hence my choice of him for today, which follows after Brian's talk. But now, with making the best of a bad thing, here's Brian. Thanks, John. The sceptic might say, Suppose I grant you the case for intelligent design proves that there's intelligence behind the universe. But I want to be loved. And where in all this world of pain and injustice is there a scrap of evidence that the intelligence that made us belongs to a loving being? The sceptic might even say, I'd rather believe I wasn't made than know I wasn't loved. But what if we don't have to choose between the two? What if it's possible to know that we were made to be loved? It's a real issue. Sir David Attenborough is often asked why he doesn't give credit to a creator god for the wonderful animal design features he demonstrates on his shows like Planet Earth. He replies, I tend to think instead of a parasitic worm that's boring through the eye of a boy sitting on the bank of a river in West Africa. A worm that's going to make him blind. And then I ask them, are you telling me that the God you believe in, who you also say is an all-merciful God, who cares for each one of us individually, are you saying that God created this worm that can live in no other way than in an innocent child's eyeball? Because that doesn't seem to me to coincide with a God who's full of mercy. He's running from the truth of God because he doesn't see the loving hand of the Creator. Actually, I'm told his response is not entirely accurate in saying that the parasitic worm can live in no other way, but leaving that lesser point aside, let's deal with his main objection. The very first chapter of Genesis concludes by saying that after God had finished creating, everything was very good, which can only mean that situations such as Attenborough describes about the parasitic worm, etc., are not of God's making, but rather they arise out of how we've degraded God's purpose. Of course, we might not want to face up to that responsibility, but prefer rather to put the blame back on God. If so, the logical consequence is as given vent to by Stephen Fry, when interviewed on the Meaning of Life TV programme and asked what he would say to God if he had a chance, he said, I'd say, bone cancer in children, what's that about? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? He went on to say, it's not right, it's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? End quote. Don't you get the sense that he actually must believe in God 
because that's who he's shaking his fist at. Stephen Fry would appear to be expressing moral outrage. It's fair to ask, where does that sense of morality come from? Distorted as it is in his case. The best answer is that it comes from the God who's revealed in the Bible. Fry arrives at a distorted morality by suppressing the truth of the Bible's first pages and the worldview they offer us. In that biblical worldview, God is very far from being the author of pain or the architect of disease and death. Instead, the finger is left pointing back at us. We are the architects of our own downfall, for it was we who rebelled. But all isn't lost if we follow through on the biblical remedy for the human problem. Now, these men just mentioned represent the sceptic's position. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, the researcher, whom we are dubbing as the Bible professor, he's simulating the sceptic, but only for the purpose of his research. He's demonstrating in this powerful literary device that he uses. He's demonstrating that we search in vain for answers under the sun. Or in other words, we won't discover the truth about reality by coming at things from a purely secular perspective. What's more, it's as if he too longs to be sure of being loved. For he says in chapter 9, For I have taken all this to my heart, and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. You hear the heart's hunger for being loved? The righteous and the wise and their works are in the hand of God. All things come alike to all. With his under-the-sun premise, excluding any sense of eternity or accountability in a life to come, a man or woman can be sure of neither love nor hatred in what lies before them. Creation can tell us God is, but it doesn't tell us so clearly that God loves us. And I think it's important to accept that we shouldn't measure God's love by what happens in life. We measure God's love by what Jesus did at the cross. On September the 11th, in the year 2001, 19 militants associated with the Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda hijacked four airplanes and carried out suicide attacks against targets in the United States. Two of the planes were flown into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. When the planes hit the Twin Towers, as far as I know, none of the phone calls from the people on board were messages of hate or revenge. They were all messages of love, messages to their loved ones. But horribly, an act of hatred ended their lives on that clear, sunny day in late summer. We've read, Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. All kinds of people were on those planes. The writer in Ecclesiastes says again, It is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good, for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swearer is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil 
in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed their love, their hate and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, and in your toil in which you have laboured under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Did you hear him? He's saying that we all face death. Those verses take us through a minimalist view of life that reasons like this. Life is better than death, so just try to optimise what you've got. The professor's analysis boils down to life is utterly meaningless and our common death and destiny prove it to be so. So forget all that I have said and have a good time. It is small hope given to despairing men and women, but it is the best he can do. It reminds me of the modern militant atheist's slogan, There's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Our Bible professor continues, I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favour to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net, and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls on them. We all face time and chance. And within a worldview of time and chance, there's nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. The best sense the sceptic can make of life from his earthbound point of view is all is randomness, so don't think too much. If all existence and consciousness ends with death, then the only thing that matters is this present life, and therefore nothing really matters. The Bible professor of Ecclesiastes continues, Also, this I came to see as wisdom under the sun, and it impressed me. It was a small city, with few men in it, and a great king came to it, surrounded it, and constructed large siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he delivered the city by his wisdom, yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength, but the wisdom of the poor man is despised, and his words are not heeded. The words of the wise heard in quietness are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Establishing things by wisdom is much more difficult than destroying them by the work of even one sinner. Adam's sin infected the whole race of man. 
Achan's transgression caused Israel's defeat. Dead flies spoil a fine ointment and cause it to smell. Even so, just a moment's folly ruins the lifelong reputation of someone regarded as wise and honourable. I hope you enjoyed today's study and if you have any questions you'd like to ask Brian then do please write in. I hope that for you the love of God and the love that Jesus has for you is more than tongue can tell. As usual these study talks are available to download online or as a transcript book and here's how to obtain the book. Either you can get it yourself by downloading a copy from churchesofgod.info forward slash media or, if you're not able to do that and need to request a hard copy book, just write in and ask for the title, Does Anyone Know Why We're Here? You can use email or the post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN4, 8DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info So many thanks for the pleasure of your company today and taking time out to be with us. We do appreciate your interest. But for now, it's goodbye and very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our producer David, our singers and me, John. So see you again soon and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. Mm-hmm.